there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Performance Marketing Insiders, the podcast that's all about secrets to success in marketing, growth, and general uh, and life in general. I'm Chris Mechanic, your host today. Super duper excited for our guest, who's uh, a great marketing leader with both that creative and that technical skill set, uh, an absolute expert on digital former head of demand gen at Datadog, which if you don't know, is just a casual $33 billion uh, market cap as of today, uh, and director now of digital at Saros, uh, which is a really interesting company that we're going to hear all about. But ladies and gentlemen, welcome Alex Kelly to the show today. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Quick, I don't want my team over at Datadog to uh, to get the wrong idea. Not the head of demand gen over there, but I was a part of the uh, a very effective demand gen team uh, that helped grow that company. Oh, well, my apologies. I see <laughs> he's modest too, folks. He's got the full package going on. So, hey, I'm super excited to be speaking with you today. You know we like to get right down into it. So hit us with your secret. All right, my secret. <laughs> Your message is not the medium. Said another way, get a little bit more plain with it. Your message does not mean a thing if nobody's paying attention. Uh, that, that, that attention is everything. And then only after that, after you've captured that, that attention, that uh, capture those eyeballs towards your direction, does your message actually matter? So the message is not the medium. Interesting. So give us an example of this. How, how do we kind of conceptualize it in our mind? So think about what is happening today across digital channels. Marketers are faced with so much competition for attention. Uh, and yet we spend so much time crafting our competitive positioning, our message. What do we think is going to resonate within the market? And that's not the wrong thing to focus on. But I also think that when we think about distribution, we think about where those eyeballs actually are and where we are looking to drive that audience activity from, mm -hmm. we can often underappreciate or underinvest in just attention grabbing. Uh, mm -hmm. What does the design look like? What are the visuals of this social strategy? How do we stand out in what has become an increasingly crowded space mm -hmm. as more marketers are creating more content every day? More people totally. are following the content marketing playbook, driving people to your website, to your gated content, to your resources, your case studies. Everyone is investing in the same types of strategies. You need to do something different. While they're zigging, you need to zag to be able to understand what is actually going to get the right person to even look at that second head after, after the headline. What, is, what does the headline do? How does it get you to the next line, to the next line, to the next line? And how do the visuals actually help you capture um, that thumb stopping motion to get them to actually spend some time with you. Gotcha. So is, would it, another way to say it be to say, basically we focus too much on text and on copy and the written word and not enough on imagery, design, visuals, and like aesthetics. I think that is certainly a part of it uh, for sure. I also think that marketers can be a little bit slow to, um, to adapt to just changing behavior. 
But I think right. that is the case though, because if you look at almost any org, ourselves included, and you just like looked at everything we had in, in Google Drive, it's like vast majority of it is text. Like there's way more text documents than there are visual documents. And I think mm-hmm. that's the case with everybody. But why is that, you think? I think there's some behavioral uh, elements to that. There's some process uh, components to that. In marketing, especially, marketers do not typically have a design or aesthetic background, right? We come from um, either business degrees or we come from psychology or we just find our way into marketing from some other random uh, random path in. But uh, that hybrid marketer and designer, the way that a designer thinks about actually packaging up a message and crafting a solution for that end user is very different than, than how marketers think about it. So when we think about design from the marketing point of view, we think about this is just a step in my production workflow. Mm-hmm. I'm going to craft the message. I'm going to uh, develop all the copy. I'm going to uh, put everything in a Word document, send that over to the design team and say, hey, can you make this look pretty? Can you slap the brand guidelines on this and then send it on its merry way? Yeah, We do not involve design in the actual strategy process where they have a, a really clear sense of who's the audience? What are we actually trying to get across in terms of this message? Not only what are we trying to get across in terms of message, what do we want them to feel? What do we want them to remember? Where do we want to draw their eye to the next best thing or the next most important element? We don't think about design that way. We think about it in terms of production, not in terms of strategy. That is very interesting. And so is that the key then? Is that the antidote is basically to get the design teams involved earlier in the process, basically, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Getting designers not just involved in earlier in the process of crafting whatever that campaign is or that end product or uh, content piece, but having them involved in the overarching strategy of the business, the way they think about um, crafting solution and usability and really understanding, getting under the skin of that that end user uh, lends itself to just overarchingly developing better marketing material and also just better marketing strategy and output generally past the, uh, the content itself. You know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And this is actually a really timely thing that you're bringing up because at our own company, we've got an agency and our what we call our marketing teams, those are the media buyers, the analysts, the strategists, the account managers, for the most part, they work in pods, like they work in small cross-functional teams. But then we've got internal service orgs who are the dev team that does all the technical they they handle all the technical for all the pods and then the creative team hires all the technical for all the pods but and so there has naturally become exactly what you said it's like you know a part of the workflow they receive a brief like once all of the strategy part has been done and they uh, do their best to make it pretty uh but up until re- or that was up until recently probably about 6 months ago this issue was was brought up and a few people from the creative team stepped up and was like can i be on the client calls please like can i just join you and just like talk and just like, i want to see where like this brief is really coming from you know um and we did that with some of our larger accounts and it's gone amazingly well like like those clients have are so so happy with our creative um and i think it was i think it's just because of that so, but yeah. is that the antidote? That is certainly the antidote. I, I, I think it is. And you know, what is something that somebody in a creative background or a design field 
what do they what do they inherently know and and when it, what, what do they inherently do when they get a request or a brief from the marketing team they want to understand deeper what am i actually trying to to do here who is it for what do they care about they are are much more practiced at just asking the question why why this why is this the output why is this the specific structure that you are putting or container you're putting this this message within is there a better way to convey this um, we don't always push it to that next level of asking why, 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 why this, why that, why this message, why this creative, why this direction. Um, that helps just overarchingly codify what what is what are we really trying to do here, and how do we make it the most effective package possible for that person? Yeah, I totally hear you, man. I totally hear you, and I'm totally with you. And uh, shout out to Abby on our team, who's a creative team lead for, for speaking up and being like, please, just somebody <laughs> let me on the calls. But uh, that, it was brilliant. Cool. Well, hey, let's talk a little bit about Saros. And I'm curious about what your, what your role is like there, You know, what all you're in charge of, what's taken up a lot of share of mind, yeah. things like that. A lot of share of mine being taken up. Uh, it's you know it's a it's a it's a really interesting and um, a really great company that uh, exemplifies a lot of what I'm talking about here. Uh, we are a um, we're a company that creates technology that helps unlock creativity within other organizations. We create creative tools. Um, the the core of which is a web based design studio that allows marketing teams um, and the designers within them to create more interactive, immersive digital content without having to write a line of code. So you put more of that production process into the hands of the designers and also allow them to add things like interactions, animations, uh, embed other media, publish it directly to the web um, instead of working potentially with um, de- developers and taking up development capacity, if that's something you're, you're strapped mm. with, or having to offshore to that to um, to agencies or you know working with creative agencies that may not be as ingrained in your brand. So the flexibility is is really um, really second to none, and what they're able to put together, what our clients are actually creating within the platform, is really remarkable. You know, everything from small little embeds. Um, all the way up to multi-page um, interactive eBooks and microsites and games and sort of everything in between. So, um, but we uh, the the marketing team at Saros is um, it's it's a really creative bunch of individuals. So I uh, my my title is the director of digital marketing. Uh, today I oversee um, a couple of different functions like digital, um, which is you know paid, organic, on-site email. Um, we've got an inbound SDR on, as a part of that team. And that's really the performance-based team, the always-on growth engine that is driving that sales pipeline through digital programming. Um, demand generation, which is a little bit more flexible, thought of more as um, an integrated campaigns uh, function, account-based marketing efforts. Really, how do they connect these other functions into um, a content or event or a digital plan that helps us uh, develop something more comprehensive for a particular audience segment or you know an industry that we're looking to break into. Um, field marketing, which typically is not always under digital uh, as a as a remit, but uh, we're having to build up the field marketing and events uh, function to um, drive pipeline in through sponsored events and both across our North American markets and also expanding across uh, across Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then customer marketing. So how do we disseminate? 
enablement education to our existing user community to ensure that they not only are up to date on everything that's that's there, but they feel a part of that community. And uh, you know, we're helping to support success with adoption efforts and retention of uh, of those accounts. So it's it's, it's a pretty broad. Uh, broad scope, which is largely what keeps me up at night. Is, that uh, sounds like a huge scope, dude. That sounds mad. That sounds like four different jobs. Almost. <laughs> yeah. How do we make sure these things are, are tied together in a way that makes sense? How do we, you know, keep the strategic uh, objectives of the company, uh, you know, in, in play? And then constantly, how do we, how do we keep pushing ourselves to do what we are talking about now, integrating design and, and, uh, you know, the creative team more into the strategy of the business. Um, how do we push the envelope into not just doing, you know, a launch event? And what does that really look like if we do the best possible version of that as far as we are concerned? And, you know, based on our our view of, of what's going to get the message across in unique ways. So, you know, the executive team all the way down is 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 embodies that culture. How do we how do we look a little left of center? How do we push this a little bit further? How do we think more creatively and outside of the box uh, and not hold ourselves to, uh, similarly to how we communicate uh, communicate to our clients, how do you not hold yourselves to the same boxes marketers are used to? I want an ebook. I want a white paper. I want a blog post. That medium isn't as important as just understanding whether or not the message is understood and engaged with and that you're creating something unique and stand out and that it is conveying what you want it to convey. Yeah. But we're used to thinking of things in terms of what we are used to, right? So uh, that that is something that we we constantly ask ourselves and think about, you know, what is what is a different version of this that still does what we need it to do objectively and um, helps to push us a little bit further along that creative journey. Yeah. So what do you, what do you see really working these days? Like what's working for you guys the best? Is it, you know, it's, it's when these things interlink a lot more closely than they don't. Um, you know, when, when the team is firing on all cylinders and we're really, um, you know, we're really thinking about how content and events can play more, more inter, uh, inter, uh, interlocked together, how digital is extending off of that into channel, um, how we think about campaigns versus sort of individualized functional efforts. Um, those things tend to help accelerate. You know, we really see the impact of them. We see the qualitative feedback come from the team. We see the qualitative feedback come from from prospects. Oh, this was really interesting. This is a cool way to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And it helps to just usher along those conversations. And we track that influence and that, you know, that attributed activity all the way down. Um, generally, you know, events have been a really strong, um, a really strong driver for us historically. You know, that's a challenge today, getting those back in person in a way that, uh, you know, feels both safe and effective. And, uh, as we rebuild and, and build up that team, but, um, it is just a really interesting way for digital forward companies to think about how their brand translates physically uh, and how do you make that feel really, um, immersive and, and interesting, um, where that audience is going to actually want to engage uh, with that. So those really work for us. They are really great brand builders and message uh, conveying um, you know mechanisms. And you know we've we've generated a lot of pipeline in the back of our event strategy. Uh, generally from digital, we we've got a really strong um, sort of organic content just engine on editorial. People really engage with our editorial property. That team does incredible work putting out um, really interactive and interesting. Um, creative, uh, creative leaning and creative topic, uh, specific, uh, 
content and you know making sure that we're making use of that in our distribution, our nurtures, our, our um, paid promotion drives a lot of activity. It drives a lot of pipeline uh, through our, our digital engine there. So those are some of the things that that really click for us. And we're always trying to find ways of tying them closer together uh, to, yeah. to get that lift. And you're going back to in-person events, right? I think you said you're going to be are. at Inbound. I'll be at Inbound next week. I'll be at Content Marketing World the week after. Uh, I myself, yeah, this is my first uh, sort of pushback in, in person. I know the team has been been inching this way, uh, you know, for the course over the course of this year. And it's interesting to see how you know the organizers themselves are adapting. Um, reduced capacity in person, some digital component. You know, it goes more hybrid, but. You know where we really see the performance and the value tends to be in those in-person conversations. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how that continues to to either course correct back to what people are used to, or if it even ever will. Um, yeah. And and how that continues to evolve because, uh, you know, a lot of folks are still working, you know, remote first or remote only, and that's we are too. It's incredible. Um, you know, getting people to a, a meeting place is uh, maybe not always what they're looking for. Um, so how do you? How do you still deliver the value of that experience and that education uh, is is certainly a challenge I know for for many companies. I think that we're going to be back to like pre-COVID levels of networking uh, pretty soon, mm. and I have a really good gauge barometer on it, which is my wife, who's like, you know, like we didn't speak to anybody literally like we didn't see anybody for a year like a year or so like she's like really you know conscious like over conscious like almost obsessed with it but we've seen almost everybody that we know get it and get it sometimes multiple times and just and be just fine and just the other day she decided like yolo like we're not we don't need to wear masks today in whole foods you know (laughs) so she's just the most conservative amongst us, who's her, just put up her YOLO sign and took off her mask. Yeah. It's it's really... Have you, you know, gotten it? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, just recently for the, the first time, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, I think we, uh, we may have gotten it early 2020 before we really knew it was in New York. And, uh, and that was not a fun couple of weeks. And I know, uh, you know, several folks who've gotten it really badly. And, um, it was, it was certainly not a, not a good situation. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see as, as more folks take that, that stance. And, um, you know, as these, these events come back somewhat at full force and sort of entice people to come back out into, into in-person, I guess the next six to 12 months are going to be really telling what the next, you know, few years are going to look like, but, um, it is interesting to see. I know inbound itself is more hybrid this year. Uh, content marketing world is um, maybe a little bit less capacity than than where they were in 2019. But what I could say is, from a pipeline perspective, would love to see the pipeline come back from yeah. you know, pre pre COVID times and, and from those in person events. But you know, well, it's, real it's quick just another events, thing to adapt. Is there anything that you guys do uh, event wise that makes them so successful that you can think of? Like, do you have a really impressive booth, or do you have some kind of? Yeah, I, that technique? is that is a large part of it. You know, we we certainly do our part on the um, how do we squeeze every possible um, angle to ensure we we get at you know who's going to be there. Try to to um, really juice our pre event promotions. Um, the team more broadly, especially on the sales side, is really invested in making sure that we are we are um, 
you know, making sure the right folks are there. If we know they're going to be there, that we're capitalizing on those opportunities. But a large part of the draw and what has been successful historically is just what is the experience at the booth that we're creating? Um, the team does amazing work. What what they pull together, and we often create it ourselves or build it ourselves on site. And uh, and it is just uh, it's really it's really fun. It's really different. Um, the message is really clear in how we physically represent that. Um, I, what I would say is just a sort of tease on that. I mean, content marketing world in particular, if you're going to be there, please come check it out. I'm going to be on the ground, um, at the booth, come check out our, 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 uh, our installation there and just see, see what the design team and the creative team come up with. Cause it's, it's really interesting and it's not what you might expect. And it's not what might people might, um, you know, think they would see at a, at a trade show booth that's really there to generate conversations for sales. And uh, it's just a different approach. And we, we try to do that you know, each time we go out. And I think that really resonates with the wow. people on the ground. They, it's very photographable. It's very, uh, it's very different than the booths around it. And it just draws the eye. It's kind of what we were wow. saying before. You draw the eye and then you, then you hook them with the message. So you're practicing what you preach with that booth, basically. Exactly. Now you got me all interested to see it. Do, so do you know what it is or are they just like literally I, kind of come up with it? I do know what it is. Yes. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. we the, the team did a, a ton of work over the last few weeks to get that where it needs to be. But uh, I'm excited to see it come together physically because I haven't seen that part of it yet. I'm so curious. I might come to Content Marketing World just to see that. What? <laughs> come by. Yeah. When is it or when and where? Uh, September 14th through the 16th in Cleveland. Mm, Cleveland. So, interesting. Yeah. One of the few cities I've never been to. Oh, I've been uh, twice. Once for a wedding, once for another wedding, actually. Uh, So twice for a wedding. That was the only times I've been there. (laughs) Nice. Cool, man. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, you're really impressive. I love the philosophy, the, um, you know, the message not being the medium. I think that's something that everybody, like, or not everybody, but most brands really need to hear. Because we are really heavily text-based, a lot of brands. So that's cool. Um, but I'm interested to learn more about you. Like, Take us back on a brief chronology of, of your uh, life to date, like Alex the Kid, and then you went mm-hmm. to school, and then you got a job. Like, How'd you get into marketing? Yeah. Uh, like most marketers, not by studying marketing. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a, as a kid, I was, I was certainly, um, if not the most, one of the most quiet kids in class and incredibly introverted. Uh, most of my classmates may not have ever had a conversation with me, um, you know, through elementary, through middle school. And um, I just, at an early age, um, was encouraged by my family and just uh, started to pick things up and experiment with with music. That was a big, big outlet for me. And um, it also helped me figure out how to sort of break myself out of my shell. And uh, what, I, what I can kind of point to is that, that uh, oh, what are they called? The, uh, the talent show, eighth grade talent show, where my friends and I, we, we threw together a band and we performed there. And I was, you know, I was the the front man, the singer, no one in school, very few had actually heard me speak before, let alone get up on stage and start start belting out some terrible songs. Wow. Um, but I really caught the bug from there. That was that was something I'd love to do. It was something I continued to do. And um, ended up getting a, a degree of music at um, University of Richmond when I went down there and um, really thought that's what I was going to do with my life. Uh, I love to write. I love to perform. Um, it was just this, this great way of me packaging up how I wanted to talk about things or, you know, uh, reflect on things. And 
Um, you know, I hit this point after living in, in Virginia for a few years uh, after college that I was either going to move to Nashville and, and do that or move back to New Jersey where I grew up and, uh, you know, sort of find my way from there. And I'd already been away from home for seven or six, seven or eight years. And um, that's what I ended up doing. And, uh, you know, I, I fell into working with a, with a really close friend of mine, um, essentially doing so project management. You went work. to Nashville? Or you no, went I, went, to, I went to New Jersey. I came oh, back home. home. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be where, be near my family again. I wanted to be around my friends who were, who were still in the area and um, sort of fell my way into working with, um, with one of those close friends that I grew up with doing project management work. And ultimately we, uh, you know, we were some of the younger, more, uh, more right out of college, uh, folks at this, this mortgage company, and they needed somebody to help with, you know, more digital and more marketing specific work. It's like, all right, well, I, I could try to figure that out. Sure. You, you have Marketo, you don't have anyone to, to learn how to use it. Yeah. I'll throw my, my hat in the ring. Um, yeah, we developed a website for their retail brand. We, uh, I took over Marketo stuff, um, kind of just kept taking on more and more of that kind of, kind of work and it ultimately made that my full-time job. And it, it was literally just all teaching myself what I needed to know in the moment to navigate a conversation, largely through things like the HubSpot blog or resources. I was just trying to look up in the moment yeah. and, uh, you know, I just kept enjoying it more and more. It was still, it was a lot of creative outlet while also being really practical and learning the ins and outs of how this business worked. And I really liked that part of it as well. And um, sort of found my way um, my, my now wife and I moved in together uh, in Jersey city where we still are. And yeah, I wanted to be in New York, um, found a job at an agency there, which was uh, a really intense and good learning experience, but uh really burns out on the agency model there, um, you know, pretty quickly, but it was, you know, a HubSpot partner inbound marketing agency where you're just doing full on launches of new strategies, onboarding onto HubSpot, lead management and definition, also doing all the implementation of, you know, creative and uh, strategy and all these other things for these, for these companies, which was a lot to do solo, but it was, uh, it was also just a really, um, really impactful to like, grow and codify a lot of the things that I had just been teaching myself in the, in the, in the early days. Then I moved over to Datadog where that company is just, it's such a poster child for, you know, effective high growth. There was a team that managed sort of every function. There was incredibly smart individuals there for this really highly technical product. I really loved my time there. I loved the people I worked with. And it was just this, this machine. And it had already been a machine by the time I got there. You know, that was 270 employees and they were over 600 before I left. And that was, you know, not even quite a year and a half. Wow. Um, uh, but then, yeah, I found my way into, into Saros in this position. And even that role has changed so dramatically over the last four and a half years. And I think that's part of what I love about it. It's, there's always something creative. There's always problems to solve. There's always something new. Uh, and you just kind of keep your, your eye forward and keep, working the problem and finding new ways of trying to, to, uh, you know, uh, do things differently, both for yourself and for the buyer. And, uh, it's just been a really rewarding few years, just digging into, into this part of it. That's awesome, dude. That's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. I love the way that you just stumbled into digital. Literally mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, sure. I'll try to yeah. figure it out. Why not? That's yeah, I'm here. Awesome, yeah. dude. <laughs> That's the coolest thing ever. So, um, what's next for you? You think? What do you What do you think in uh, 
in terms in of next ter- in my career. Yeah, um, you-, you know, that's it. I think that's uh, the question I ask myself every day is uh, I love, um, you know, I've been in the digital and demand side of, of teams for, for a long time. Uh, I, like I still have the ambition and, uh, and the, the drive to, you know, continue to grow into that larger, you know, VP position where you can really take the strategy and, you know, from the early days, craft that more, more holistically across all of these different functions. And, um, you know, that is, that is certainly a, an ambition of mine in, in the, in the future. Um, otherwise it's really more so than just the role. I think it's really important that I, I just continue to, um, work on things I'm really, really passionate about and, and can really find a good creative outlet within and, um, you know, as long as I have that part to, to fulfill that or scratch that itch, um, a lot of the rest of it kind of takes care of itself over time. Um, you know, the big thing for me is I'm new dad nine months in, uh, to the, to the, oh, the wow. parent's journey. And, you know, that takes up a lot of, a lot of brain space and wow. a lot of my, a lot of my future planning is, is oriented around that, uh, at the moment. So it's wow, boy uh, or girl twin, uh, identical twin boys, nine months old. So it's Are been, you kidding me? It's been a, a wild, wild year. Oh my goodness, dude. I can't believe you didn't mention that earlier. <laughs> Mad love and respect for that. I've got little ones too, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. But man, twins, that must be so hard. <laughs> you know, I I am uh I'm really thankful that you know there are first, there there are only kids. And if we had one first and then had twins, I think we would be struggling a lot more than we are and we're struggling it's it's not easy um but they're great and we don't know any better so just the hardness is just what we expect any new parent to go through uh yeah but it's you know it's it's really fun now because they're interacting with each other more and uh, they're also at that age where just everything accelerates they're starting to crawl they're teething they're really trying to pull themselves up and uh they really want to walk they just can't yet so it's just every day there's something new that they're they're trying to do that's so cool. Yeah. You're approaching like the peak of cuteness phase, I think yeah. happens around like one and a half. <laughs> yeah. That's like, they're so cute, but, and they're like yeah. kind of with it. Like they don't talk yeah. maybe that much, but they understand you and respond kind of. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so cute. <laughs> um, at, at what point did you learn that they were going to be twins? Like, did you know the whole time or was it like yeah. a surprise? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you find out you're pregnant and then you go in and you get that first sonogram and oh, they um, right there. they're the, all the, the first ultrasounds and we were sitting, <laughs> we were sitting in the room and like, oh, great. There's, there's that little, little black dot. And, oh, there's the, there's the second one over there. <laughs> we just look at her. Like, well, what does that mean? What is there's two of them. What is, what does that mean? <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> and then from that day on, you know, we, that was early on in the, in the really early on in the process. But, um, so we had a lot of time to, to just grapple with that and plan for it, but you can never really plan for it. You just, you're just along for the ride half the time. Yeah. Well, you must be very proud to have two little baby boys. That's like every dad's dream. <laughs> we would have been happy with, with any configuration there. I mean, we, uh, we, we don't have, either of us have twins in the family. So it was, it was a surprise. And then, you know, the, the identical part was the, uh, the second surprise there. It's so do you, very fun. I have a client, he's funny. He goes, I never got the goo goo gaga gene. Like he's like, <laughs> no, he's like, I think he has a one-year-old and three-year-old too, but he's like not enjoying it at all. And I could say the same for myself. Like there've certainly been some days where it's just like a 
man, it's like, this is, why did I do that? But, um, how are you as a dad? Like, are you loving it? And like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult. Anybody that's, that's, that's parenting is, is going through, you know, very, very great times and very, you know, exhausting and difficult times, especially at this age. Um, but I love it. I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, working and, and, uh, and then sort of popping in and out. I mean, that's the best part about working remote right now is you pop out, you can see them, you can help out, you can, you can do what, whatever's needed to do. And then you see them, you know, first thing in the morning, that's the best part is you walk into their room, they're miserable already because they just want to get out and they can't yet. And then they just light up when the, when they see you. Um, but it's great. I, I love it. Every, every bit of it. Yeah. I like the early mornings too. Those yeah. are the best. Cool, brother. Well, um, I definitely wish you luck there. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be great fun and send uh, my blessings to your wife. I'm sure she's having, having a time of it. Because, <laughs> man, it's really, I mean, it's really hard on mama, I think, much harder than daddy, obviously. Yeah, the thing about twins is that there's no real, there's no real delineation. Right. I mean, it's not like you can trade off feeding times necessarily, especially in the, in the very beginning. So, you know, every couple of hours, each one of us has a kid. There's, you're always, you're always double dutying it. So I'm, I was, I was thankful for that too. You, you just feel like you're, you're in the thick of it right from the start and you really get your, your arms around it. But I mean, yeah, she's unyieldingly patient and, and phenomenal. So it's, uh, uh, thank you. It's great. That's awesome. So what do you guys do like for fun or do you not have time? Probably I guess to have fun. <laughs> yeah. Are fun you, is fun is hard to come by. Um, still love playing music. Still love writing when I, when I oh, that's make the one. chance. Um, you know, we love just taking the kids out, um, showing them the outside world beyond this condo. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a dog who's 11, uh, taking him out for as many walks as we can at this age. But yeah, we've got a lot of family in the area. My wife, born and raised in Manhattan. We're right across the river. We see her family all the time. We see my family all the time. Oh, Try to get great. down the shore and uh, you know just just soak it in while we can. Traveling right now with traveling too far with with this young kids. We just took a trip down to Virginia, which was you know sixteen hours in a car with with uh, with eight month olds was that was trial by fire. Um, wow, <laughs> we had to make like, three a- separate stops for for a couple of days just to make it down there, but. Um, you know, ultimately it was just, it was great. We well, we're going to love looking back on it, but it was, uh, certainly a challenge in the moment. Yeah. What, uh, instruments do you play? I was a, a trumpet player all through school. Um, so I did like jazz and, um, you know, concert band and such, but, you know, I was in middle school, high school, um, college and beyond that. I, I really got into vocal songwriting, guitar, sort of the whole nine, just always wanted to play with my friends. We always, it's, you know, different iterations of the same band. It was like, you know, one person would rotate in and out every like six months and we'd rename the whole thing. But um, yeah, that's mostly where I'm at now. It's hard to play trumpet in a, in a, in a building with uh, upstairs neighbors, but um, right. you know, the, the writing, the vocal, the production side of it, I still love just tinkering around and seeing what I can come up with. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I wish that I had taken the time to learn an instrument better. Like it, I would love to be able to play the guitar well. Maybe I'll add that to my bucket list. It yeah. just seems so cool. 
It's never like, late. Yeah, never too late. You know, just yeah. take lessons like once a month or, you know, every couple of weeks or something. And you just, I, w- I would not say I'm good, but I, I can, I'm dangerous enough to write and, you know, learn some stuff that I need to. Well, need to I feel there. like, I feel like it might make you a better marketer to like learn an instrument or to, or to play music because it's definitely a different hemisphere of the brain, but I've noticed that yeah. a lot of good marketers like either are into art, like they're into art of, of some sort, music. Um, yeah, I think there's that part of it, the just the creative stimulus and engaging that different part of your brain. But I would say for music, especially, I mean, especially if you're engaging in different kinds of it, you're you got to learn how to play solo. You got to learn how to play with other people. You need to know how to fade into the background and let other people shine. You need to adapt to what's going on around you. I think those things are universally, you know, applicable. Yeah, um, especially in what we're doing, it's it's it is a team sport. No one person is really, really, you know, getting getting every win. So it's uh, you need to know how to how to let some of those things you know shine through, and just understand that there's you know there's always another always another song, right? You know, the configuration can always change, but um, it's it's really about what the what the whole group is doing. Totally. And that's another characteristic of a lot of great marketers is uh, athlete, athletic background. Mm. Less of that. Did play tennis and soccer, but not not well. And, and gamers. <laughs> a lot of the yeah. best like yeah. media buyers, like Google Ads buyers and such, they're gamers. Because Google Ads, see the, like see the, the system. Yeah. The platform is yeah, it's just a system. I mean, it's just a game, really, at the end of the day. It's <laughs> like, what happens if I do this? Cool, man. Well, I think we're just about at time here. You ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. All right. Uh, let's start with a good one. If you were to start a side hustle, what would it be? Or maybe mm. you have one. Well, I think I'd go back to just trying to write and and uh, get people to pay me for for music, right? I, I think that's just a good angle to uh, to really lean back into because I love doing it. It's just uh, finding the time right now. But that's a uh, that's probably that's where I'd a good start. Idea. Dude, you could totally do that. Like stock, like stock music, you mean? That's a stock music or just um writing, putting your stuff up, trying to play some local shows and just try to make a little bit of you know extra cash on the side from it. That'd be great. That's awesome. Cool. Um top three books or learning uh sources that have influenced you. Ooh. Uh I'll do a little bit of a mix here. So if I think pure great books for marketers uh and then also a mix of just personal right so behind the cloud great mark benioff i just i I devoured that book it's a short read it's easy um it's also just a really good quick hit case study on how they thought about solving some of those problems really creatively and scrappy um in the especially in the early days and how that just helps layer and stack these ideas on top of each other to get to where they are um more recent one, I, you know, I, 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 we dove into, especially in, in how the organization has been changing with, with a bunch of the managers, um, you know, the five dysfunctions of a team, which plays out pretty, pretty readily in our organization, just how we think about building that trust and, um, you know, how we work through those problems collectively yep. and ensure that there's, there's really clear shared ownership over, over the solutions for them. That was a good one to uh, just sort of solidify and provide some sort of uh, you know, framework back in, into what we're trying to do. Third one, wildcard. So there's this, uh, this fantasy series that I read early on in my life. Um, you know, like I, f- I feel like it was like fifth, sixth grade. I picked up this seven, 800 pound uh, page book off uh, my, my 
buddy's bookshelf. It's called The Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkind. I'd say the series itself is is pretty up and down, but I just the only thing about it that really sticks with me is that I think that was the first book of that size that I really dove into as a sort of voracious reader and really opened up a whole new sort of mode of my brain um, going forward from there and uh, and and really sort of kickstarted my love of that kind of um, more out there fantasy sci-fi um, type type uh, books and stories. And a lot of that stuff too has such a direct impact on creative ideas you come up with, how you think about the world, how you think about what is possible. And um, that's just been a a really important just facet of my personality and and how I I view things. So that's my my third cool. out there one. Those are good ones. Yeah, we'll definitely include those in the show notes. Uh, and then last grab bag question is, if you could go back to say when you were whatever age, 10 years old, and you could do one thing differently, but it can't be like buy Bitcoin or buy yeah. Apple stock. What would it be? Huh. Uh, I'll cheat a little. Two things. One is I think I'd uh, tell myself to take more risks in my sort of like personal life, right? Like just put myself out there to do different things and really experiment with what was going on around me in terms of, um, you know, things to take part in, clubs to be in, or, you know, shows or plays to to sort of put myself in. And I think my introversion really still shone through for, through most of my life. And just anytime I put myself out there and I take part in something that's, especially if it's creative oriented, I was I always look back loving it um, yeah. and just wish I did more of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, That's that and one. also just, you know, invest more time in uh, just sort of fundamental, you know, practical life uh, knowledge. Um, and also, you know, maybe a bit more of business savvy earlier in my career would have gone a long way. So mm-hmm. Those are good ones. Those are really yeah. good ones. Cool. Well, I think that's just about a uh, wrap. If you guys are loving this, if you're liking it, why not drop us a thumbs up, share it with your friend. Uh, everything that was mentioned here will include within the show notes. And Alex, thank you very much. This was an awesome episode. Let everyone know where they can learn more about you and or Saros. Yeah, Saros, uh, www.saros.com. So that's C-E-R-O-S. Um, just check out what we have going on there, what our, our products are, how we're, uh, our editorial content is really great. You're not going to regret checking that out. Uh, personally, mostly LinkedIn. Um, you know, I think it's slash Alex John Kelly. Uh, I'm the one connected to the Sarah's business profile. So come and find me, please connect. Let's uh, happy to chat with anybody uh, that's out there. Cool. Thank you very much, man. And thank you for listening until next time. We'll see you later. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 